how do you help someone to accept the potential weight gain aspect of implementing these principles if that is what is preventing them from doing so? Context, someone needing to put on weight due to hypothalamic amenorrhea, but is still in the dieting mentality. Okay. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> I was just, I didn't understand the first bit, but okay, if this is what is preventing them from doing so. Oh, oh okay. I'm not quite sure if I understand the question. I understand that you're trying to gain weight, so I think that the question is saying, how do you accept weight? So, I think the, the basic context yeah. of the question, I think, is the person is very much in a dieting mentality, but I think that dieting mentality has put them into some level of amenorrhea, so they therefore need to increase calories, but they're still in the mindset of wanting to diet and losing, I guess, control of that to some degree. Okay, yeah, that's really, really difficult. And the, the most compassionate thing you can do for yourself right now is to say this is difficult and no one expects it to be easy for you. And I think acknowledging that is very, very important. You could, there's a number of things you can do. I think one thing to do potentially is to stop weighing yourself because you don't know that you're gaining weight if you don't weigh yourself. Yes, your body shape will change. But if you're doing strength training, for example, that's a really good thing. You want to be changing your body shape. You want to grow muscle. So I'd say stop weighing yourself. What I'd also say is look at, um, rather than thinking, oh my God, I need to eat so much more food, look at the food choices that you're making and see if you can actually increase your calorie intake almost without you even knowing it. And what I mean by that is, I can guarantee you're probably someone who eats 0% yogurt, uses fry light and eats bagel thins, for example, and eats a lot of vegetables and fruit. And of course, the latter is great, but actually shifting away from this diet food choice whereby you probably won't notice if you eat a bagel versus a bagel thin other than it tastes infinitely better but actually you're adding some calories on there without the kind of mental struggle of adding calories and you get the enjoyment of actually that it's more food um, and so look at your food choices and see see maybe are you still weighing your oats for example stop stop weighing foods that you you don't need to be weighing foods anymore so all of these habits that you previously did in your diet pick one and try and make that shift this week and then pick another one for next week and try and make that shift the next week and just implement something each week and also this is a really really good time to start implementing some of the things that we've all been speaking about today in terms of how you speak to yourself so Really actually take 10 minutes each day and, and look at yourself in the eyes, in the mirror. I know it's awkward, but do it anyway. Look at yourself in the eyes and say one thing that one thing that you like about yourself and it doesn't have to be the way that you look, anything at all. What, and genuinely tell yourself, you did this really well or, you know, you are a good person, whatever it is. At the same time, do your daily gratitude and sit for a couple of minutes and think, I, I am really lucky. And I think at the moment, especially... Every time I wake up in a house, I'm like, I'm so lucky to be in a house and isolated and safe and touch wood. And it's it's that type of thing. So start actually looking at your what you do in terms of how you speak to yourself. And one thing that I wanted to say on the back of a question earlier, but it just didn't really come up, is self-compassion doesn't have to be the way that you talk to yourself. We all feel pretty ridiculous when we say, you know, you're such a kind person. Like We all feel like assholes, but what you can do is rather than like talking to yourself like that, actually go, um, Louis laughing because he knows it's true. Okay. <laughs> it's actually, you can you can practice self-compassion without being a word, but actually just by writing something down. So there's some evidence that actually writing a kind letter to yourself from the perspective of someone else, 
for seven days will significantly improve your self-compassion. So maybe tonight you can think about the person that you care most about in the world and think, what would this person say to me right now from their perspective? And take 10 minutes to write that down in, in a diary, journal, phone, whatever you want, and do that every single day for the next seven days and see how you feel in a week. And you can also um, practice self-compassion by like human touch. And if you're like me in isolation and you don't get any human touch, you can do it for two weeks. Well, you can do it for yourself. Because actually... Put your mouth out the gutter. <laughs> um, none of that. But you can, if you put your hand on your heart, say, you get this physical touch. And actually, physical touch helps regulate what we call your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of your central nervous system that is involved in calming, basically calming you down. Your sympathetic is like your fight or flight when you freak out, like if you see your ex in the street. Your parasympathetic is the opposite. And actually, if you like t- put your hand on your on your heart and just sit and do some breathing, that will um, lower your heart rate and increase their parasympathetic dominance. And, and it's just another way of practicing self-compassion. So there are so many ways that you can incorporate that whilst also doing the really kind of the mandatory things around your actual nutrition in terms of removing diet choices and establishing a regular eating pattern of every three hours having another meal. Um, so you've got the practical side of it, but you've also got the kind of self-compassion side of it. And you want to come at it from both angles. Um, and someone just said something about Elizabeth Gilbert. And yeah, I love her also. Um, I'll just add in there, um, a lot just to add on to what Amelia said. Um, three points so having a look at potentially reframing it instead of what am I losing from being lean but what am I gaining through this opportunity and potentially trying to I know in the time at the moment we aren't able to go out and things like that but you're able to be more sociable potentially with people that you're spending time in isolation with you can have more varied food choices um you don't potentially won't have to or won't need to exercise as much to maintain that lean physique. So these are all opportunities once you sort of reframe them or reappraise, then these things can be real good opportunities. Um, Second thing would be a task that um, I've done with a few clients, and it would be placing value so much value on weight. So writing writing down two or three people, I spoke about this yesterday, um, two or three people that you really care for, that you really value in your life, and then writing down the things that you value most about them. And I guarantee weight won't be on there. And then I'd ask the question of why you are valuing your, placing your value on your weight so much. And then the third thing was about the um, hand on heart thing that Amelia spoke about. Um, Christine Neff spoke about this and um, saying hand on heart, this it is a comforting thing and it really sort of, it's a caring and compassionate thing as well that um, we get to play the part of the person that is being cared for but also the carer which makes us feel good as well so playing two parts in that role but if you don't feel comfortable putting your hand on your chest like this a really subtle one to do or she used the word serendipitous which I liked would be to um, fold your arms and then just squeeze just gently like rub them there and it just gives you that sort of calming and caring sort of aspect where you are playing the carer but also being cared for as well. That's why Louis sat this whole conversation like this. You just can't see what his arms are doing. <laughs> some love. Show yourself some love, people. <laughs> just not on camera. 
So I'm going to go to a question. Actually, sorry, before I go to this question, there's a couple of questions gone in the thread about uh, we've mentioned studies and things like that. And uh, I think we'll have to find a way maybe for the people who are interested in studies, maybe I can put together a little Word document and throw that out to people who are interested in studies and stuff. So uh, we'll come to that after rather than list out study after study after study right now. Um, so Tony asked a question. Um, I think, Christy, you touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, any advice for those, I guess we have to tread carefully a, a bit here. Um, any yeah. advice for those that have previously struggled with an eating disorder and can feel it creeping back in with the massive changes right now, being at home with three kids and a partner, still getting out for walks for alone time, but anxiety at home is affecting others? Okay. Um, like you say, you do have to tread very, very carefully with that. I would ask, are they currently suffering or previously suffering? So it says creeping back, so I assume recovered. I would suggest thinking about what is true right now. So most people will be worrying about whether maybe a short relapse is going to result in that eating disorder coming back. But that's not necessarily true. What is true right now is that this is an anxious time. There is probably going to be a couple of moments where you feel like participating in those behaviours again. But that doesn't mean that your eating disorder is back. That means that you're experiencing some of those behaviours and perhaps need to consider how you can be more compassionate around them or... Do you need to reach out to someone in this moment in time, a professional? You know, we spoke, um, me and Louis on the talk yesterday, we spoke about the, the eating disorder charity being free and available for everybody. If that's how you're feeling, that you are really scared that it's going to come back, now's the time to reach out to someone. All of it is free. You can go on there and take a look. And if you are someone that lives with someone that has suffered in the past or is currently suffering. They have advice for friends and family too on there. So that's where I'd point you. It's like you say, Simon, you've got to tread very carefully with advice on that. Awesome. Right. Okay. Um, so we're going to bring in a question from Josh. Uh, so serious question. So Josh has been making some uh, uh, funny comments and now he's coming with a serious one. Um, what's your view on referring intuitive slash mindful eating to an obese individual who shows leptin resistance and therefore have a disrupted satiety signal. Complicated, so Amelia first. Yeah, it is complicated and I, I don't actually, I wouldn't know a specific answer, but I think that it's a really good one to discuss. Um, so you can still practice mindful eating and get benefits from it regardless of whether you are leptin resistant. And for anybody that doesn't know what leptin does, leptin is a hormone released um, predominantly from adipose tissue, so fat cells, and it works to reduce your appetite. So when you have more body fat levels, you have more lectin and a lower appetite. There's obviously other things at play. And when you are leaner, you have potentially uh, less lectin, and so your appetite is slightly higher. So people that are lectin resistant would not have the impact on appetite. So they wouldn't get a reduction in appetite that comes with lectin. Okay, so they don't have that appetite regulation. I think that's probably important to understand the context, I suppose, of the question. Um, but mindful eating, 
it doesn't just have the benefit of managing appetite. So you, you get improvement in digestion, you get an improvement in enjoyment, and also it impacts your overall mindfulness and other parts of life. So regardless of the impact on appetite, then you still get the benefits from, from mindful eating per se. I think that you also will get the, you will still be, also be able to tell the, the change in the physiological symptoms that you get with eating. Symptoms is not the right word. Just the physiological changes that happen when you eat. So, for example, when you eat a high-volume meal, your stomach stretches, that's still there. And mind, uh, mindful eating and having a really mindful meal you will still experience that change in, in um, stomach fullness and the signals that then eventually come from that that tell you to stop eating. So you still get the benefits of that. And, and if you look at intuitive eating, I think that that's, that premise still applies in that if you incorporate mindfulness within the intuitive eating situation, you will still get the benefits of that mindful meal regardless of whether you have um, a higher appetite I think that you'd obviously then have to be more mindful in terms of looking at food volume for example um, and I think that in that situation you do need to have an education around around nutrition in terms of um, energy density etc because the kind of old school mentality was that you could only do intuitive eating if you tracked new understood food and that's actually not the case it's really not the case and I think that's quite an old fashioned mindset but in this situation, I would say that actually having the underlying potentially tracking background first would be really helpful in the sense that they would understand roughly what food looks like for them that they need um, before then removing tracking. But I still think it could be done and I still think you still get a lot of benefits and potentially more benefits from having a mindful meal because actually it's even more important that you sense those um, physiological changes that happen like throughout digestion. Awesome. Very well addressed for a question you weren't sure about. Um, <laughs> Louis, we're going to come to you next. Um, so how do you combine tracking macros and mindful eating? Can it be done and how? I say that there can be a transition across. However, if you are tracking your meals, you can monitor your hunger, but if you're tracking as well, then there's still an external goal that you're trying to chase or achieve when I think mindful eating is more about becoming in tune with those internal cues that we want to work on. So your hunger and satiety, fullness, how that food makes you feel. And that can be disrupted a bit through tracking at times. So um, often clients that we might start off with no knowledge of nutrition and we start them or might start them with tracking just so we can get them moving towards their goal a bit quicker and also help them educate around food. Um, and we give them support through that. But then we might move them away so we might have a mindful meal per day or an, an untracked and that meal to be untracked as well just to start introducing that aspect as well and then transition across slowly so maybe have an untracked day where they are they just try and do uh, mindful eating so for each meal or um, just try and rely on their hunger cues and satiety and developing um, a better relationship with food through that rather than a lot of people who tend to get stuck in the my fitness my fitness pal trap where they just rely on tracking and they sort of gamify it a bit where they uh, see how many steps they can do to compensate for having so much food in their diet and that sort of feeds the point so um, I'd say they're both useful tools and they can kind of be combined but I'd say um, you'd probably combine them if you were transitioning from one to another that it probably wouldn't be beneficial to have them both congr congr 
concurrently for a prolonged period of time. Cool. Awesome. So we're going to bring another question. Maybe, Chris, do you want to take this one or take the lead on it at least? Uh, Roisin asks, uh, have you any tips on how to reduce food thoughts and focus other than trying to distract yourself constantly? Um, this is a difficult one because it's actually off the back of what Louis just said. When you are on a diet or when you are tracking, that does make you more preoccupied with food. One of the things you'll notice if you do try and transition from tracking to not is that you actually start thinking about food a little bit less. And sometimes having that goal of how many calories a day means that all day you're thinking about, okay, I need to wait a little bit longer so that I don't fit in all these calories too early. And that's why you're so focused on it sometimes. Um, so for someone that does find themselves constantly thinking about it, then mindful eating probably would be something to go for because also because if you start mindful eating you are honoring hunger and fullness cues you are making sure that you are mindful whilst you're eating and as amelia mentioned earlier then it can make you realize that you've actually eaten something and like your brain is not on it as much and then because of that you're probably going to end up eating foods that are more satiating, are more filling, therefore turning off that switch that you're still hungry as well. So when, you ha when you're so preoccupied with food, it could be a sign that perhaps you need to stop dieting for a little while or stop tracking. It could be a sign that when you eat, you're probably not eating meals that are filling enough, which is leading to you probably snacking in between them. Um, or you're not eating mindfully enough, which means that you're not actually, you're not making the most of the meals that you're having. Does that make sense? Yeah, can I, can I add on that? That, that covers all the um, kind of nutrition like in, that, in that sense, the mindful eating side of it. But in terms of the compassion side of it and actually mindfulness, what mindfulness, consistent mindfulness practice allows you to do is to... Uh, like we said earlier, is to be aware of your thoughts without judging them and without acting on them, but just noticing your thoughts. And this kind of combined practice of mindfulness and self-compassion, and you can do that through different like different types of guided meditation, for example, where you work on like loving kindness meditation and also mindfulness, is that you learn to identify that you're not the thoughts in your head. And one of the best things that you will ever do is have this realization that you are the awareness, and this is quite spiritual, but it, but it, there is a kind of concept behind it where you are the awareness and you're not the thoughts in your head. So actually, if you think about it as a concept where you are that awareness, you then have the ability to hear those voices in your head and tell them to be quiet. So right now, as you're listening to me talk, I know that there's stuff going on in your head over and over again as I'm, I'm, and you're thinking about what I'm saying. But right now, if I say to you right now, just tell those voices to stop. And they'll stop because you have that power. And that's something that comes with mindfulness practice and self-compassion practice. And the more you do it, the more able you are to just snap yourself back to the present moment, be aware of those voices, and then say, right, okay, there they are. I'm going to tell them to be quiet. And now I'll just get back on my work. And I say that like I've got that mastered, and I don't. And I don't know if anyone really has that mastered. But... 
Um, you need a bit of adjustments, but probably about it. But it's something that you can practice, and it's a really empowering thing to realise. Cool, awesome. Millie, you're next up, I think, in the uh, the round table. Um, so Scott is asking, uh, any advice or tips on how to approach fat loss from a place of self-love rather than self-hate as struggling with the mental side of dieting? Yeah. Okay, if you're, if you're struggling with the mental side of it, I would firstly ask if it's something that you, you have to do in the sense of what are your values here? Where does this fall in line with your values? Um, and when I talk about values, I'm talking about your core values, for example, health, aesthetics, financial, whatever your core values may be. Why, why are you dieting um, in the sense of if it's making you miserable, why would you do it? it but it's also perfectly acceptable if, you're, if you really value aesthetics right now and that's the most important thing and actually your, your happiness is behind that. Sometimes that happens for people and I've been there too. So that's completely okay if aesthetics comes first. But then you have to go, right, well, I can't unfortunately put everything into my mindset whilst I'm dieting. And it's a harsh reality and I think we've all touched on this already is that dieting in general is not great for your mental health it's not great for your relationship with yourself it's not great for your relationship with other people but it can you know there's got lots of pros to it and it's not a bad thing if you approach it in the right way and I do want to make that clear you know it's not a bad thing at all but actually doing a lot of the kind of positive psychology stuff that we've been speaking about throughout today will really help you in terms of um it's difficult when you've said with the mental side of it I'm assuming you mean because you're hungry all the time I think and maybe you're thinking about food all the time and just like Christy said if you're dieting unfortunately preoccupation with food does go up I remember when I competed and I used to see packets of crisps on the ground and I'd be like oh like you see it and just notice it because you're obsessed with it so it might be that dieting is not the right thing, but doing these kind of positive psychology techniques of gratitude, self-compassion, mindfulness um, will really support the, the mental aspects of dieting. And again, like stop stop talking to yourself in a negative way. There is some research that actually suggests that the more positive, the more positive you are to uh, to fat loss, the more likely you are to drop body fat. So if you start from a place of um, positive self-worth, then you're more likely to drop body fat than you are if you start from a place of self-hate. So actually, you're doing yourself a disservice in terms of fat loss by being nasty to yourself. And there's this theory called the paradox of change, whereby actually, we are once we are most content where we are, we are then most able to change, which is the complete opposite of what we think in, in diet culture, whereby... We, we have to hate ourselves and then we change. Actually, that's not the case at all. And, and this theory suggests that actually we're more likely to change when we're in a place of contentment. So you owe it to yourself to do just like you tick off your macros and your training and your cardio and your steps. You should be ticking off the things that support you from the, a mental health side of it as well. You have to be accountable to those just like we are with our clients. You know, we look at those often before we look at nutrition because actually they, they impact nutrition more than setting a macro target does. Mm. 
Yeah, cool. Um, so if anyone's got any more questions, feel free to um, throw them in. We've got a couple of maybe like slightly off topic, um, but I'll, I'll throw them in anyway, just for completeness for those that are still watching. Um, so Lucy Lockwood, and we'll open this up to the floor, whoever wants to stick their hand up and answer this particular question. Uh, any tips on how to stop feeling faint and having to have energy drinks to stop feeling faint? Are you eating enough? Are you sleeping enough? Are you drinking enough water? Are you hydrated? Uh, what's your diet like in general? Is it getting lots of nutrients in there? Um, energy drinks and we maybe in the last couple of years have sort of they've been put on a bit of a pedestal as like the answer to a lot of things at times of team grind and um, just grind harder and stick to caffeine. Don't want to dick at you. Sorry, Simon. Um, <laughs> 10 cans of monster. And I think Ross put it really well yesterday and it was like, everyone wants to major in the minors and caffeine is probably one of the little things that we'd focus on. And I'd probably look at the foundations of your overall lifestyle. Maybe you are doing too much and maybe need to dial stuff back. Maybe just getting outside in the sunshine a little bit more. I know it's a bit difficult with lockdown at the moment, but all these other things I'd probably look at before, um, relying on energy drinks and things and then um, potentially get booking with a GP, get a blood test just to make sure that we're not deficient in anything. Iron might be an issue. Um, but yeah, has anybody else got any? Yeah, I would say all those points, bang on obviously. Um, but then I'd also say, like you said, definitely go to the doctors, get a blood test. If you're following a specific type of um, nutrition, I, I say diet, but I don't mean fat loss. I know that you say you're eating. But um, if you're following, potentially if you're vegan, for example, you're at risk of certain deficiencies, like vitamin B12, which will impact your energy levels. So it could be that actually you're missing some key nutrients. So you need to get a blood test. Um, that's first and foremost. But also, you say you've replied and said you are eating. But realistically, where are you where are you gauging your portion sizes from? And what I mean by that is that often we have these expectations of what a portion size should look like, whether it's because the cereal box it tells us like a tablespoon is a serving, or because we've watched some ridiculous influencer saying this is what I eat in a day. Wherever you found your expectations from, often you think that actually you're eating fine and you're eating enough but you are basing that off unrealistic expectation. And actually, like I've been there, I used to say that I was eating enough and, and I never actually realized what it felt what it felt like to be fueled for about 10 years because I convinced myself that that was what I needed to be eating. And so I would really look at that and look at where you're getting your expectations in terms of what you should be eating as well. Awesome, great answer. Um, so I know Amelia wanted to hang on specifically to answer some questions about BCAA. So uh, yeah. I'll <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no one's asking a question about BCAAs, so uh, I, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked at all of you people watching live that you've not asked a question about BCAAs. Okay. Uh, not to be honest. <laughs> uh, maybe one one more question we got in here. Maybe it's, it's not really a question, um, but it's more of a more of a statement. Um, this may be an older view, but my father said, "If you cannot catch it." Kill it, pick it, you should not eat it. I would kind of say that's an old-fashioned view. That would be my view, but I'll leave it open to you guys to think, to say what you think about that, that phrase. Um, I'd say the premise is quite good in general, that um, the majority of our diet should, or we'd like as nutritionist people to have a very nutrient-dense diet where 
things that are coming from source that the the least process possible. And I know Nick on one of the earlier talks uh, spoke about uh, Kevin Hall's study recently where they calorie matched um, two groups in a um, metabolic ward study. So basically they could monitor their expenditure and monitor their intake and basically give people either processed versions of food or the wholesome version of food. So it'd be stuff like peanut butter or peanuts and they matched them for uh, macronutrient density, so fats, proteins, carbs. Fiber, I think, was matched. Salt was matched. And it was an amazing study. Like, it was so well run. Um, and they found that people overate on more processed foods, even though the foods were exactly pretty much the same. So we're talking about peanuts versus peanut butter and things like that. So um, swaying towards more of a wholesome diet or, like, nutrient dense where we'd have stuff that uh like your whole grains the minimal reduced or minimum uh processed foods is beneficial for health but also probably for weight goals as well which a lot of people probably want to incorporate this with um this talk with as well um but yeah i'd say it's an old-fashioned view and but it probably rings true in some aspects um but i'd be interested to hear what other people's views are I'm shocked that Louis did not pick up on food neutrality here. I thought that was going to just pour out of your mouth. I thought, but totally good point. But also, yeah, I think that 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 can often lead to exactly what Louis said. But it can also lead to like demonising certain mm. food in the sense of that's where we get this processed foods are negative and bad, and then we have these um, negative associations with food. So yeah, the underlying premise is probably useful and we do tend to be overeat on more processed and highly palatable foods but we don't want to demonize anything that's processed or likewise cool. if you could cool. look at this like if your father rephrased it to you um or how you would talk to your children about it the foods that he's talking about would be the foods you tell a kid are most of the time foods and then it, the foods that don't interfit fit into those categories are sometimes foods so it would have been better off mentioning that, but perhaps with the added element of frequency, that these ones that are more wholesome and things, they're your all-of-the-time foods, but the more processed stuff, you still have it, but it's just sometimes. Mm. Cool. All right. Uh, a, little bit of, a little bit of love there for you, Amelia. Apparently, you are Louise's new obsession. <laughs> oh, I couldn't see the name. I just assumed it was my dad. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, Louise. So cool. Uh, thank you very much um, for your time, the three of you this evening. Lots of good stuff in the comments in terms of uh, what people thought about the talk in general. Uh, my social media is lit up with various different screenshots of you all thanking you for your knowledge and your your sharing your your whatever knowledge. I'll use knowledge again as a word. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, so again, these guys are all over social media giving out more information. So again, go follow them. Don't forget that they are also coaches as well. So if you have a little bit of an affinity with one or all of them and think about, well, what could they do for me? Well, the best place is to go follow those social media accounts that are around here and maybe go and have a conversation about how that happens. Mm -hmm.